0: This morning, but before you guys turn there, because it's going to be a little bit, all right? Uh, before you turn there, uh, I got a question for you, and the question is this. It's going to get a little interactive here, so be prepared to answer. Uh, what was your greatest fear as a child? What was your greatest fear as a child? Go ahead, think about it for a second, and then tell your neighbor. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor, tell them what your greatest fear was. This is a time that's going to help you just get that off your chest, uh, and just let them know, this is what I was scared of, okay? You got that? We're, we're good? All right, perfect. Uh, now, some of you, h- how many of you guys were afraid of heights as a child? Anybody? A few of you? Perfect. I'm in that boat. Uh, how about the dark? You were afraid of the dark. Okay. Uh, spiders, bugs, anybody in that category? Yes, yeah, some hands there, some are still raising. Maybe it was the monster in your closet or the monster under your bed. You know, uh, that was definitely a fear. Uh, maybe your parents left you at a grocery store and you just never got over that. It happens. Or left you at church. I was definitely one of those before. Uh, maybe clowns. Anybody afraid of clowns? Oh, these things are creepy, I can tell you. Uh, so we all have our fears, and maybe some of you, you've never outgrown your, your childhood uh, fears. And like I said, for me, I, I'd be fine if I never had to step on, on a steep roof again, right? Like, I don't like heights. I'm not going to say I'm scared of them, but I just really dislike them. You know, just thinking about being, if you ever watched those videos of like people on like a skyscraper or something? Like my hands just start sweating. I, I don't know why that is, so maybe I'm afraid of heights. I, I don't know what it is. But, but when we have fear in our lives, I want to look at this concept of, of fear. Because when we have fear in our lives, it means that we're missing peace. There's a missing peace in our lives when we have fear. In a place where it should be peace, we have fear fear instead. And uh, fear is a response to an imminent threat. Something's going to happen. So like heights, right? You're up on a steep roof and it's like, I'm going to fall off and die, right? Imminent threat. Something that makes sense to be afraid of. Or the dark. You're in the dark, you can't see anything, but you feel like something can see me. It's going to attack me and hurt me. I'm going to die. Imminent threat. I'm afraid, right? Clowns. That thing is smiling way too much. It's going to hurt me, right? Imminent threat. Spiders. That little thing that's smaller than your fingernail is somehow going to take down your adult human self and kill you, right? Imminent threat. Well, maybe not all fears are rational, all right? But uh, we can be afraid and we can have these fears nonetheless. But there's a different kind of fear that I feel is really growing in America, and that fear is called... Anxiety. Anxiety. Well, the difference between these two, while fear is a response to an imminent threat, anxiety is a response to something, uh, a perceived future threat. Something that might happen. It's not imminent, but it might happen. So fear is a response to what is currently happening. Anxiety is a response to something that might happen. And uh, I was looking up some statistics uh, to anxiety, and they kind of just, they really blew my mind. Uh, the statistics today say that one out of every five American adults has an anxiety disorder. One out of five. and That's 40 million Americans who have an anxiety disorder. And uh, the problem's only growing because in youth, this one really just got me, one out of three American teenagers has an anxiety disorder. One out of three. That's just crazy to think about. And these are, these are stats that, you know, they've done tons of research on, one out of three. And... Uh, that just, I mean, that, that moves my heart. It makes me say, man, there's, there's, something, there's something wrong. There's something we need to to do, right? And uh, with stats like that, there's a good chance that many of you in this room have struggled with anxiety, or you at least know someone, you know a family member, you know a friend um, who has struggled with anxiety. And there's a lot of reasons that you can look at. There's a lot of things that are causing anxiety, uh, one of them would be maybe you're experiencing pressure, like from a boss, or you pressure from your parents or your family, and we feel like we have to be perfect. We feel like if we we mess up, it's just going to ruin us, right? So we we have this crippling fear that you know something uh, I'm going to mess up, I'm going to fail, and so instead of doing it, we just you know retreat and say, well, I'm only going to do the things that I know that I can do perfectly. Um, another one that's causing stress in our anxiety stress and anxiety in our society uh, is social media. You know, years ago, you could do something stupid and a lot of people wouldn't find out about it. Now, you do something stupid, there's a good chance someone was videoing it and it is posted online or something like that, right? And uh, you know, so there's all these things. People are taking hours and hours to try to get the perfect picture or write the perfect phrase uh, so that everybody thinks they have just the perfect life, you know, and it's stressful. It causes anxiety. And sometimes we're just so glued to our phones that we're not used to having face-to-face conversations, so now that stresses us out, like, what am I supposed to say? You know, I'm just going to go hide uh, in my phone. Uh, Some other reasons for anxiety that we have would just be uh, rough circumstances. Uh, The traditional American family today isn't a mom and dad and two and a half kids, right? It's not that way anymore. Now it's, you know, a lot of people come from broken families, where a mom or a dad has left, or one of them has never been present, and then you add drugs and alcohol into the mix, and there's just a lot of pain, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of broken families out there, and it's just like, who, who can I trust? Because the people closest to me, I feels like I can't trust. We also live in a scary world. You know, turn on the news, that'll confirm it. We live in a scary world where there's always something. It's just like, look at this attack. Look at what this person did. And and we can get bogged down in the fear of what's going to happen next. Is it going to happen to me? Maybe I should just stay home today. This one's interesting because it doesn't feel like this should cause anxiety, but it does. Happiness. Happiness leads to anxiety because in America today, we feel like if we're not happy, then something's wrong with us. Right? It's just like we've, we're, we're in such a pursuit of happiness that we can't handle other emotions. You know, it's like, oh, I'm sad today. Well, something must be wrong with me. Right? And our goal is always to try to hit happy and we can't handle some of those other emotions. Uh, the last one this morning, there's probably many other causes, uh, but we live in a materialistic world. We live in a world that's all about me, 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 and and not about how can I help others. And so we're always looking at how can I get ahead, how can I have the the newest car or the nicest house on the block, and and we're always looking to get ahead. And and rather than just uh, enjoying our family or giving back to our community, we're we're always looking at us. And, And that's stressful. That causes anxiety when we're always looking at us. So how do we fix it? How do, what do we do to try to overcome some of these stresses uh, and anxiety issues in our life? A lot of times we try to look for the fastest way around it. We try to look for a quick fix. Uh, we, we try to avoid the situation, right? You know, man, this place always stresses me out, or this person always stresses me out. Anybody got a person that stresses them out a lot, right? And so you avoid them. You, you try to, to go the other way. You try not to come in contact with them. Another way we try to fix it is we just try to escape, right? We... Uh, we, we try to go somewhere else. Like, what, how would we wait in lines today if we didn't have a cell phone, right? You know, we'd actually have to sit there and not do anything or start a conversation with someone. No, we usually escape. We go to our phones. We put our headphones in. You know, we watch a movie. We try to escape the the stress of everyday life. Or lately, a lot of times, we we try to medicate. Uh, I'm thankful for modern medicine and, and and medicine that can help us overcome some of our fears and some of our anxiety. But it's crazy to me how, how easy that solution is to just say, well, I'm anxious. Maybe I should get some medicine for it, right? Uh, every year at camp, there's this long line by the nurse during every meal, and I'm just like, what's going on here? And a lot of the times, it's just anxiety medication that students are taking, and it's, just like, and it's growing and growing every year. So it feels like we're just trying to, to find a quick fix and not deal with the root of the issue of our anxiety. So what's the solution? What's the solution? We live in a stressed-out nation. As followers of Jesus, how can we overcome fear? How can we overcome anxiety? So this morning, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. Thankfully, God's Word has a lot of answers for us. It's got all the answers. Matthew chapter 1. Um, Israel. Israel was a stressed-out nation. Not only is America stressed out, Israel at this time was a very stressed-out nation. This was a chosen nation. These were God's people, yet they disobeyed Him. And because of that, they were overtaken and uh, taken as captives many times. Finally, they they made it back to the Promised Land, and and they tried to make things right with God, and they did for a time. Uh, But then, for 400 years... There was no prophet. There was no voice of God. There was no direction. Uh, For 400 years, for for 14 generations, they didn't hear from God. That's kind of stressful. Because here they were waiting for a promise. They were waiting for a Savior. And it just seems like everything's going wrong. I mean, Rome comes in and and, and takes ownership, right? It's just like, God, are you ever going to come? Are you ever going to show up? Are you even real. And then the silence broke in Matthew chapter one. An angel appeared to Mary and then to Joseph. And I'm going to start with verse 20 this morning. Matthew chapter one, verse 20 says this. But after he, referring to Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want you to put yourself in Joseph and Mary's shoes for just a second. You are about to meet God. Let's think about that. You're about to meet God. This is the answer to your prayers. This is the answer to your parents' prayers, your grandparents' prayers, your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents' prayers. Like, everybody's been praying for this moment in history to happen. It's been 400 years. It's been 14 generations since they've heard about God. And I wonder, is Joseph starting to doubt? Are they starting to wonder, is, is this God that I heard so much about, you know, who, you know, who is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who split the Red Sea, is he real? Is he real? Because I haven't seen it personally myself. You've heard stories, but, but now you're going to be able to see God. You're going to be able to touch him. You're going to be able to hear him. You're going to be able to ask him questions. See, it was in this this time 2,000 years ago that God sent a clear message to Mary and Joseph and to the entire world that day, and that message was this, I care about you. I care about you. God cares about you. Church, he cares about what you're going through. He cares about your pain. He cares about your stress. He cares about the anxiety that you deal with. God cares about you. He's not a God that's far off. He's a God that is personal. He's a God that is close. He's a God that knows you. I mean, think about this. Uh, God, the creator of the universe, sent his son, who is also God. He sent Jesus. Everything was made through him. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-wise. He's he's incomprehensible. He's unimaginable. Yet he came to earth in human flesh as a baby. He, He put aside his divine qualities, and he put on human qualities and human limitations. He put on flesh so that you would know that he would know that what you're going through. He can understand what you're going through because he's been there. He, he's done that. He's dealt with the fears. He's dealt with the anxieties. He's dealt with the stress. He's dealt with the pain. He's dealt with the temptations that you've dealt with. Our God cares so much about you that he gave it all up for you. He did this so he could come and he could save you, so he could die on a cross, so we could have an opportunity to to receive Christ, to to, uh, receive salvation, to spend eternity in Christ, eternity in heaven. But he also did this to remind a stressed-out nation that God is not simply all-powerful and transcendent, but he is also close and he is intimate. God with us, Emmanuel, shows us that God cares about you. He cares about you. Now, some of you in this room, like I said, maybe you have this view of God. Maybe you were raised to to view God as he's just this this judge sitting on a throne waiting for you to mess up, waiting for you to, to screw up. He's just waiting to write down failure, right? And maybe you have that view of God. Now, God is our judge, but He's also our defendant as well. He's also pleading our case. He also made a way so that we could be forgiven. He took our punishment so that we don't have to pay that price. So not only is God judge, not only is he transcendent, but God is close and he loves you and he cares about you more than anything. Right? God cares about your hurt. He cares about your pain. But not only does God care for you, God is also your protector. God is your protector. Now, 700 years before, before Jesus was born, God spoke through a prophet. His name was Micah. And he said this about the coming Messiah. We see it in, in Micah chapter 5. It says this, But you, Bethlehem, Epithra, through though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock, in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for his greatness will reach the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. So Micah is prophesying that, hey, the Savior is going to come. The Savior is going to come. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, and we know, hey, that happened. Jesus came. He's our Savior. And uh, it said that he is going to come to be ruler over Israel, that he is going to be a shepherd, So he's going to be ruler, he's going to be shepherd, and because of this, we're going to be able to live securely, and we're going to be able to have peace, right? Uh, So it says that God, our Savior, that Jesus is going to be our ruler, and he's also going to be our shepherd. Now, if you look at a ruler and a shepherd, you'd think, those are pretty far apart, you know? A shepherd stinks, and he's out in the field, he's having to do all this stuff, and a ruler, you know, he's... You know, he probably smells nice, you know. Uh, A ruler sits on a throne. He's got all this wealth. uh, But in reality, they kind of have the same jobs. Their job is to lead their people or to lead their flock and to protect their people and to protect their flock. And and it's saying this Savior, he's going to be your ruler. He's going to be your shepherd. He is going to be your leader. He is going to be your protector. Right, And that's who Jesus is. That's who our Savior is. So not only does he care about us, but his role is, is to lead us, to help us. You know, A shepherd leads his flock to find food, and he protects his flock from, from whatever predator might come their way. And that's what Jesus does for us. He protects us. He makes sure that we are safe. He makes sure that, uh, that we are provided for, Right, that we always have enough. And so that's the role of our Savior. That's uh, what Jesus is here to do we can trust in our ruler we can trust in our shepherd and when we do that when we trust in God when we trust in our ruler when we trust in our shepherd when we trust in our protector then what is there to worry about when we know that God's got this when we know that the the biggest enemies that are coming against us that God can handle and he's our protector and he cares about us what is there to worry about now, in the statistics I talked about earlier, about the one in five adults and one in three teenagers struggling with an anxiety disorder, it said that the number one cause, the number one producer of anxiety is safety. It's safety, followed by health and, and by finances. But the, but the number one cause is, I don't feel safe. I don't feel protected. And here's the solution. We need to trust in God who is our protector, the almighty God who is our protector. See, peace doesn't come from having everything you want. you always want more. You'll never have enough. But peace comes when you trust in your protector. Peace comes when you trust in your protector. One of the times that I was the most afraid uh, in my life, and I shared this with the youth a little bit ago, one of the times I was most afraid in my life, I was in middle school. And uh, and my neighbor, he was throwing a party out in the front yard. Well, his front yard was our front yard, basically. So they, they were one and the same, virtually. And, and so he was out there with his friends, having a party. And, and I'm sitting in my room trying to go to sleep. My window's open, so I can hear everything that's going on out there. And uh, you know, I knew alcohol was involved. And, and, and all of a sudden, I heard four words that just scared me to death. Put the gun down. And I'm like, all right. My windows open. The guy with the guns probably twenty feet, you know, from my window. What do I do? You know, so my heart is racing, and, and I'm just like locked in fear. Like, all right, think, Ben. What do I do? You know, and uh, so the only thing I can do is I, I roll into the corner between my my bed and the wall, and I just throw blankets over me. Right. So I'm just like, oh. but then the problem is I started thinking, and thinking is usually good, but in this case, it was dangerous. Uh, Because then my mind started wondering what could happen, right? And I started thinking, like, if he shoots and he misses, that's going to hit my window. And uh, then there's going to be glass everywhere, and I'm probably going to die, right? And so I'm like, I got to make a run for it. I am not safe here. I need to get out. And, uh, you know, so then I'm probably going through all those spy movies or, you know, any movie that's got a gun in it, really, you know, what do you do? You got to stay low, right, and uh, so I, I roll out of bed, and I'm staying low, my heart's pounding, and I'm thinking, like, my heart's pounding so loud, that guy can probably hear it, and I, I'm trying to stay quiet, you know, so I'm sneaking over to the door, and, you know, I'm quietly turning the knob, and, and I get out, and oh, all right, now I'm safe, right, at least that's what I should have thought, I mean, I'm in, the safe, I'm in a basement, You know, he's not going to randomly fire through the basement and somehow hit me. Like, that's just, it's not going to happen. So, literally now, I'm in the safest place that I could be. I should just hang out in the basement. Uh, But that wasn't safe enough for me yet, right? I figured, no, I need to to get to my parents, right? They're upstairs. But the problem is, we live in a small town of 2,000 people, and our front door is unlocked, right? It's just like, he's going to come in at any second, he's going to take me out, because clearly... I am his biggest target right now in his mind, right? And uh, so I'm like, I, I got to get, get to my parents. So I'm like, all right, I got to make a run for it. Okay? I got to go past the unlocked front door. You know? And so I, I'm sprinting up the stairs, trying not to stumble, trying not to make noise. You know, we lived in one of those houses where the stairs, like, they were so squeaky. You couldn't sneak around in that house, right? And I'm just thinking, he's going to hear me. He, he's going to shoot. Something bad's going to happen. And finally, I get into my parents' bedroom, and I, I tell them what's happening. And finally, I felt peace, because I was with the people who were supposed to protect me. I I didn't feel peace when I was in the safest place in the house, but I felt peace when I got up to my parents, because my parents were my protectors. You know, it was still a hard time falling asleep that night. A couple weeks ago, actually, I asked my mom, like, hey, do you remember this? She's like, yeah, I do remember that. Turns out they were quoting movie lines in the front yard, and there was no gun. Uh, But that doesn't mean it didn't scare me. was a painful memory to relive. It's like, glad I asked, mom. (laughs) But when I was afraid, I didn't run to the most secure location. I ran to the most secure person. I ran to my protectors because I felt that was the safest place that I was going to be was when I was in the presence of my protectors. Church, we serve a protector who's much stronger than any mom and dad. We, we serve the almighty God. We live for the ultimate ruler and the ultimate shepherd. Not only is he infinite in power, but there is nothing that he cannot do. There is no one who can stand against him. And he also, remember, he also loves you intimately. Amen. He cares for you. If you want peace, if you want to be free from anxiety, then trust in God and make him the ruler of your life. Don't just give him parts of you, but give him everything. Trust him with your future. Trust him to provide for you. Trust him to protect you and to protect your family. All right, I just mentioned God's infinite. He's got no boundaries. He has no limitations. And one boundary that does not limit him is space. God cannot be, find, be confined to a certain space. God can't, uh, he's not just right here, but he, he's everywhere. God's presence is everywhere. So that's pretty nice that we've got a protector who can be with us everywhere we go. There's literally nowhere we can go that we can hide from God, that we can get away from God. Our protector is always with us. Check out a few of these verses in Psalms. King David asked this question, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Right? He, that's a rhetorical question. Nowhere. I, I can't get away from God. In Jeremiah, God asked this question, Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do not, I feel, heaven and earth. In Matthew, one of the last things that Jesus told his disciples was, And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. No matter where we go, your protector is with you. Wherever we go, your protector is with you. God's presence is everywhere. It doesn't simply reside in a church building or at an altar. God's presence is with you when you're at home, when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're at your best and when you're at your worst. God's presence is with you. You can't find a place where God is not. Wherever fear and anxiety strikes, God's there with you. He feels your pain. He feels your hurt. And He can protect you. Uh, Every night, Uh, when I put my son to bed, he's five years old, his name's Luke, and and I I read him a Bible story. You know, I I look forward to that every night. I get to read him a Bible story. And there's a lot of nights he just has a lot of questions. And uh, he has some pretty good questions for a five-year-old. And and so I was reading him the story of Jesus's ascension. Uh, He had walked and talked with his disciples 40 days after he was raised from the dead. And, and, uh, and, And then he ascended into heaven and and Luke was really trying to figure out, you know, like, all right, so so Jesus is in heaven, all right, and he started asking questions like, Dad, if you, he's trying to figure out how big God was. He, he said, if, if you took all the people on earth, and you stacked them on top of each other, would God still be bigger than that? I was like, yeah, he's still gonna be bigger than all the people, you know, and his he has that thinking problem too he was really thinking and, and he kept asking he's, he said dad if you take all the people and all the stuff and you stack it on top of each other would god still be bigger i was like yes son god you know god's god's big he's everywhere and then he was still struggling with this concept of you know how is god in heaven and and so he asked the question you know dad how can how can how can god be in heaven and in my heart at the same time and he's, you know, this, this concept's blown his mind. You know, a person can only be one place. I said, well, well, God is everywhere. He can, he can be in all the places all at once. And then he looked at me and he's like, Dad, did God chop himself up into a bunch of little pieces so he could be all over? <laughs> so I just love the way his mind was thinking. I had to, you know, explain to him, no, God can do anything. Right? This concept of God is everywhere and he's not chopped up into a bunch of little pieces right he he is everywhere space does not confine him he was the one who created the concept of space our god is infinite it doesn't matter where you go your protector is always with you god's presence is always there but and this is the big but will you remain under his authority will you remain under his leadership cuz a lot of times we tend to say i got this god let, let me handle this. I can protect myself. I want to lead myself. So will we remain under God's rule, under his protection? See, God's, God's presence is the safest place that you can be. His presence is truly the safest place you can be, regardless of your physical location. It is safer to be in the presence of God than anywhere else. It is safer to be a missionary in China or the remote parts of Africa and be in the presence of God and the will of God rather than to be in a safe place in America and out of God's presence and out of God's will. In 1945, there was a a pastor in Romania. His name was Richard Wormbrand. And uh, in 1945, communism was, was taking over this country. And, and the communists thought the best way to be able to get everybody on board is if they rounded up all the pastors and made them speak publicly, saying that communism was the right way. And uh, so the pastors, one by one, they got up and they began to, because there was a threat on their lives, if they didn't do this, you know, clearly they were going to die or be imprisoned. And, and they began to proclaim communism and, and finally it got to Richard's turn Pastor Richard's turn and he, he knew this isn't right. I, I can't go on with this. And, and so he got up and he began to preach Jesus, right? And uh, from that day on, he was a marked man. And, and shortly after that, he was imprisoned and tortured for the next 14 years of his life. The next 14 years. During that time, they, they tried to brainwash him. They crucified his friends. They froze him. They poked him with hot irons. And uh, One of the worst tortures he said, though, that he endured was solitary confinement. For three years, he was placed 30 feet underground uh, in in silence, in in darkness, and, and, and he said that was just, that was the worst. He said not a sound could be heard. He said that he forgot about many things in life. He forgot about the sun, the moon, the stars, flowers, trees. He forgot these even existed. Because all he knew was this confinement. And when he was finally given, when he was out and he was given paper, he said there was letters he couldn't even remember how to write or how to draw. And he said that that after a time of being in solitary confinement, you begin to regret every wrong that you've ever done. And you begin to feel so much guilt and shame. But then he said the presence of God invaded his cell the walls began to shine like diamonds and even though he was being tortured in the worst ways imaginable, what he began to feel more than pain was the presence of God. And he began to win his guards to Jesus. Church, even in the darkest of places, God's presence is there. Even in a cell 30 feet below ground, God's presence was still there. No matter where you go, God's presence will be there. And that's the safest place we could be. He was on the worst place on earth. Suffering was constant. Torture was constant. Yet he didn't live in fear. He lived in peace because God was with him. He, was, he had the presence of God with him. Can the same be said of us? Are we willing to live in the presence of God wherever we go? See, because God's presence leads to peace. God's presence leads to peace in our life. When Jesus came to the earth, he came to be our ruler. Not a political ruler, but to rule and reign in our hearts. He came to lead us because he knows what's best for us. Like he said, God, God cares about you, right? And as our leader, he doesn't want to lead you with selfish motives. He leads you with your best intentions in mind. He, he leads you to help you, to, to prosper you, to, to, to help you in every area that you have. He knows what's ahead. He's not limited by by time either. He knows our future. He knows what it holds. He knows the right path. So we need to trust in him. He came to be our shepherd. And, And like I said, the role of a shepherd is to protect his flock, to feed his flock. And with Jesus, we can live securely and we can live in peace. So how do we live in God's presence? I want to get real practical with you for just a moment. How do we live in God's presence? Philippians 4, 6 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. It says, do not be anxious about anything. But it shows us what we're supposed to do when we are anxious. It says that we need to pray. By prayer and petition, repeatedly saying, God, I need you. God, this is, this is something that's going on in my life, and man, it's, it's making me anxious. It's giving me fear. So the first thing that we should do when we feel fear and anxiety creeping in, not avoid it, not escape it, not go find medication, the first thing that we should do is say, God, help me. God, help me. I need you. I need you to come through for me right now. Be my protector. Whatever it is that that anxiety is building from, ask God, be my protector. God, come be with me right now. And then the second thing it tells us to do is, uh, and I always like this part, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, uh, we're supposed to thank God. And that's not something we usually think about when we have fear and anxiety. We don't think about thanking God. Uh, But when you think about it, if you just start listing off all the things that God has done in your life, and you start thanking Him for, God, thank you for that time that you... Man, you, you filled in, you helped me meet my finances. God, you gave me peace when there shouldn't have been peace. Uh, God, you, you, you helped me in this area. When we start thanking God and just start listing off all the ways that God has been faithful, we start to realize, well, what's changed? Has God changed? No. God's always faithful. God is still faithful. And you know what? He's going to answer your prayers now. He's going to come through for you. He's going to provide for you now. If he's provided for you then, why wouldn't he provide for you now? And it builds up our faith and helps us to trust that, you know, God has our best interests in mind. God is watching out for us. And and so we need to, uh, when we feel that anxious, we need to pray, and then we just need to begin to thank God. Thank him for all the times that he's come through. And the last thing uh, is we need to recognize that he's with you. Recognize that his presence is with you. In those moments when you're not at church, right, God's still with you. God's still with you. Even in those dark places, God is with you. And so if we take that time to just recognize God, your presence is here. God, your presence is with me right now. God, you know exactly what I'm going through. And we just take that time to recognize that God is with us. I want to ask the worship team to to come back uh, right now. And and as they're playing, as we close this morning, I just want to leave you with a story. Uh, This is a story that's that's in a book that I've handed out to several of our teenagers, uh, trying to understand God's presence and and who God is. And and in this story, it talks about a a guy who had a dream. And in his dream, uh, he saw three young men who were pursuing God. I mean, they were praying. It wasn't just like, a Jesus, thank you for this food prayer. But they were pursuing God. They were diligently seeking God. And, And he saw behind them Jesus standing there. And Jesus came behind the first man, and he began to listen intently uh, to, this, to this first man's prayer. And after a little while, Jesus came around to the front of the man, and, and he looked him face to face, and he began to, to speak to this man, making sure that he was heard and making sure that he was understood. And, and when he had finished speaking with him, he embraced him, he gave him a hug, and went away. And the dreamer thought, wow, wow teach me to pray a prayer like that you know jesus talked to him he embraced him like i want to pray prayers like that and then jesus came he appeared behind the second man and he was listening to his prayer and and this time he he didn't look him face to face he didn't even go in front of him he just stayed behind him and uh at one point he just gave the second man a pat on the back just to reassure him i'm here you know, and that didn't seem to be as powerful as the first man's prayer, but still, that man was touched by God. I mean, it was that was a powerful encounter. Then Jesus appeared behind the third man, and he began listening to his prayer. And as his prayer went on, Jesus didn't look him face to face. Jesus didn't embrace him. Jesus didn't even give him a pat on the back. He just walked away. And, and the dreamer, man, he had a lot of questions he was trying to figure out what what is going on. And and so he asked Jesus, Jesus, would you teach me to pray like that first man? Would you teach me? What what did he do that was so special that you talked to him, that you embraced him? And and even if, even if you don't teach me, I mean, teach me to pray like the second guy, he still received a touch from you. But but God, also teach me about the third man, because I don't want to pray prayers like him. God, I I want you to, to move when I pray. And Jesus looked at the dreamer and he said, you've got it all wrong. You've got it backwards. You see, the first man, he, he's new in his faith. And I knew that if I didn't speak to him, if I didn't embrace him, if he didn't feel me, then he was going to walk away from me. He wasn't strong enough, so I, I had to touch him. And the second man, he he's known me for longer, but he's still, he's still not sure. So I had to reassure him by touching him. Uh, He's still depending on that feeling from me to be able to serve you. But the third man, that's who you should be like because he's captured my heart. Because he, he knows that whether I speak to him, whether he feels me or not, he knows that I'm there. He trusts in my word. He knows that I'm listening and he knows that I hear his prayers. He knows that my presence is there. Be like the third man church this morning i want to be like the third man i I, I want to be able to trust god at his word i don't want to trust god only when i feel you know like oh man god's presence is really moving today i can feel it I, i know that god is here whether i feel something or not i know that god is here whether he says anything to me or not because he told me he's here in his word so I want a relationship with God that's built on trust. I want a relationship on God that's built on trusting my protector that no matter where I go, that God's presence is with me. So I don't have to trust in myself. I don't have to trust in my abilities, but I can trust in God. That's where I want to be in my relationship with him. Not based on feelings, not based on emotions, but based on trust. This morning church, uh I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never uh, trusted in God as your protector, as your Savior before, I want to give you an opportunity to accept Him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, I just want to give you that opportunity. This morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've never uh, understood and felt His peace, and you'd like to this morning, then, then I encourage you, would you just raise your hand and catch my eye? I want to pray with you this morning. Is there any person here who would say, I want to experience God, God's protection and God's peace like I never have before? I'll give you just a moment. Raise your hand and catch my eye if that's you this morning. I just want to give you a moment. I want to pray with you this morning. Would you just pray with me? It's not a magical prayer. It's it's simply pray from your heart. Because that's what God looks at. He doesn't look at our words, but He looks at our heart. So would you just pray this with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for being our protector. For being our provider. For caring. And this morning, Would you be my ruler? Would you be my shepherd? Would you be my savior? I give you my fear, my anxieties and worries. I give you my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. prayed that prayer for the first time this morning and the Bible says there's a party going on in heaven that angels are rejoicing and you know what your life is never going to be the same because now you can recognize that God is always there with you that God is never going to leave you if you trust in Him so this morning would you stand with me I want to give you an opportunity to respond I'm going to pray and and service is closed Um, you're free you're free free to go. The worship team is going to be playing. If you need to spend some time in the presence of God, if God's working on your heart, you just need to come to these altars. And, And again, the altar isn't the only place where God moves. God can move just as much in your house this afternoon. He can work in your job. So I don't want you to be locked in, you know, in this one place. But this is, this is a powerful place where we can get alone with God. So I'm going to pray, and, and again, you're, you're free to go. But this morning, if God's working on your heart, come to this altar. Spend some time with him. Spend some time worshiping him and just recognizing, saying, God, I give you control. I, I want you to be my protector. Thank you for caring about me. So Jesus, God, I thank you. God, I thank you so much that you care. God, you're not far off, but you're intimate and you're close. God, thank you for protecting us. God, thank you that no matter where we go, you are there with us. We are in your presence. So God, may may you bring us to a new level of trust this morning. May you bring us to a new level of understanding who you are. God, so that way we can serve you and trust you even better. Work in our hearts. God, be with us wherever we go. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.